Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 57. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Welcome to October. We are starting, well, we're kind of starting our countdown to Halloween. We're, we're sort of getting in the spirit of it early, and then we're going to get very Maleficent for a couple of weeks, and then we're going to get back into Halloween. But this is one of my favorite times of the year. I love Halloween. I really do. Same. I think... October is probably, even though I'm a summer person, it's my favorite month because obviously there's Halloween, there's hockey. What's not to love about October? And, and my and, birthday. And your birthday. And both of our mom's birthdays. And then vacations right around the corner. Yeah. It's a busy month. October's always been, historically, has been a good month. Actually, uh, my second trip to Disney World that I ever took uh, in 1994 was in October. Same. My second trip was in October. I think it was 97, though. Yeah, I, I had a little bit of a jump on you. Just slightly. Yeah. But we are excited to get back there. But before we get there, first we have to go to Halloween Town. This was a uh, DCOM, Disney Channel original movie, 1998. Yes, it was 1998 this movie came out. Was it really? This was 1998. It feels like 1992. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I feel like on How I Met Your Mother, where they always joked about how the 80s hit Canada late, and that's why Robin Sparkles did that mall video. Yes. Well, yeah, this movie has a little bit of, um, it's a little hocus pocusy. Yeah, 1998. I just double-checked it. No, 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 no. This is not hocus pocusy, and we're going to talk all about that. Yeah, um... For those of you who uh, didn't get a chance to listen, you can go back to episode number eight of Monoreal Radio, where we reviewed uh, Hocus Pocus. Yeah, we did a whole Halloween tribute last year. Yes, it was Hocus Pocus, then it was Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Yes. And what are we forgetting? <laughs> we are forgetting one thing, but I don't recall what it was. You guys will have to go back. We have to go back, too, apparently. <laughs> but as I stated before, first, we're going to Halloween Town. It is Halloween night. Marnie, Sophie, and Dylan want to go out for Halloween, but their mother, Gwen, won't let them out, saying she needs to protect them. A bus comes flying in from the sky and drops off Aggie, their grandmother and Gwen's mother, for a surprise visit. We also see that Sophie makes a cookie levitate much to Gwen's dismay. Now, Sophie... Black Cauldron, it was Black Cauldron. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. You got it? Are you <laughs> go good ahead. now? Yes, Are you I'm good so now? Sorry, yes. It was Black Cauldron. It was Black Cauldron. Okay. Um, how could we forget Black Cauldron? <laughs> I know. And we just talked about it last week, too. I know. Well, Disney anyway. blood. Go on. Much to the dismay of Gwen. The reason being is because Sophie wanted a cookie before dinner. Gwen would not let it happen. And so... As a child, because Sophie is, I don't know, six or seven years old, she kind of pouts and turns around and says, I really want that cookie. And it starts to levitate behind her. And it obviously is not the first time that this has happened. Well, Grandma arrives, bringing candy and Halloween decorations as well as costumes. But Gwen puts an end to the fun and forces everyone to the dinner table. Aggie tells Gwen that she wants her to come home. 
We don't know where home is just yet. But we know that Gwen refuses to go. It's at that point that Aggie tells the children the story of Halloween Town. This is their story that they get as they're getting ready to go to bed. Gwen confronts Aggie, leading to an argument that Marnie overhears. This is where Marnie finds out that they are from Halloween Town. At least her mother and grandmother are. Her father was born in the human world, in the mortal realm. She also finds out that she is a witch, but if she does not start her training, it is her 13th Halloween, she will lose her powers forever. Aggie tells Gwen that she needs her help back in Halloween Town because people are disappearing and she fears a return to the dark times. Marnie tells Dylan what she's heard and they follow Aggie back on the bus to Halloween Town. They arrive to learn that Sophie has snuck out as well. We meet Calabar, the mayor, who sends the kids in a cab to their grandmother's house. We also meet Luke, who perceivably is the town bad boy. Marnie convinces her grandmother to let her stay and train to fight the evil invading Halloween Town. They try to light a talisman previously owned by Merlin to drive away the Dark Force. It fails to work, and they decide to uh, remake their witch's brew using the fang of a vampire, the hair of a werewolf, and the sweat of a ghost. Back at home in the human realm, Gwen realizes that the kids are gone. Back in Halloween Town, Aggie tells the children that Halloween Town was created to keep humans and monsters separated. She buys Marnie her first broom, and they take it for a flight. As they land, a furious Gwen vows to take the kids home, but after no buses are available, they remain stranded in Halloween Town. Gwen finds Calabar, not knowing he's the mayor, of course, and asks for his help. And we learn that they did have a past relationship. It seems that uh, Gwen is an old flame of Calabar's. Luke finds Aggie and tells her that the dark creature wishes to reveal himself to her. So she demands that Luke take her to see him. Marnie, Dylan, Sophie, and Gwen follow Luke and Aggie to the old movie theater where the creature arrives and freezes both Gwen and Aggie, leaving the kids to defend Halloween Town alone. They set out into town to get what they need for the witch's brew, and after they do so, they head back to Aggie's house. After making the brew, Marnie and Sophie say a spell over the talisman, turning the light on and activating its power. Marty reveals that she must install the talisman in the jack-o'-lantern in the middle of town to fend off these dark ages that are seemingly arriving. Luke, who Marnie does not trust, mind you, tries to warn Marnie of the dark creature, uh, saying that he has created a trap for her, but he arrives and tries to convince the citizens of Halloween Town that they must return, uh, return to the Dark Ages and take Earth back from the humans. He then reveals himself to be Calabar, the mayor. While Luke distracts Calabar, Marnie goes to install the talisman in the jack-o'-lantern, and despite being hit by Calabar's spell, she succeeds in installing the talisman, defeating Calabar and saving Halloween Town after some help from the rest of her family. Gwen decides to train uh, Marnie and invites Aggie to live with them back in the mortal world. 
made-for-TV movie, straight-for-TV. It actually has somewhat of a... A known cast. A known cast. You have Judith Hogue, who was April O'Neil in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle live-action film, and, of course, Debbie Reynolds, who plays Aggie. Well, it's Debbie Reynolds. She's an absolute legend. She was an American treasure. Basically, everyone else in the movie are just people that were extras. They did a lot of made-for-TV stuff. There's no one that you would know, but to at least have those two star in what is, let's call it what it is, a low-budget TV movie for kids is somewhat impressive. Yeah, because it's not like an Olsen twins movie. Like, most notably, they did Double Double Toil and Trouble, and uh, I loved that one. That was a Halloween favorite. But they always got, like, a name attached to their films because they were little names at the time. Exactly. Um, so I saw this movie briefly as a kid. I don't even know that I watched the entire thing. But I've always known what the film was. And it has sort of, in the last 20 years, 21 years now, at the time of this recording at least, it's gotten quite a cult following. And it has three or four sequels. Obviously, I've never seen any of them, this being the only one. But I was surprised when I found out that you had never seen this before. I thought this was tailor-made for someone like you. I had never even heard of this film until we started planning out what we were going to do for Halloween this month. And that is surprising because I absolutely love Debbie Reynolds. So this one completely escaped me. But what I do like about this story so much, especially because of the way that she lends herself to the film is that it takes the idea of, you know how your grandparents spoil you and don't want your parents to know? Yeah. It takes this to the nth degree. Um, So I think that that was a really clever foundation for the way this film unfolds. I agree with you. It made the film believable. Mm. It made the film relatable. And this was... Uh, five or six years after the release of The Nightmare Before Christmas. So I really find it appealing that we get to see a town that really does celebrate one holiday and that it is Halloween Town. It's one thing to see the Halloween world as Tim Burton made it in The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's another thing to actually see real sets with live-action actors, and I'm sure to an extent, even though it had been a couple of years since the release of the film, they were piggybacking off of it a little bit. I think that may have been their intent, but that was one of the things that I didn't like about this film at all. I mean, there is a little bit of a bias because Nightmare is one of my favorites, but I definitely missed once we got to Halloween Town that there were roles that everyone had in the town and there was a hierarchy and, you know, even in like Toy Story, I love that so much about the setup of the film is everybody has their part to play and there was absolutely none of that. It was just, especially because like there are jobs, okay, there's the bus driver, there's the cabbie, there is the mayor. But other than that, when you see the grandma Debbie Reynolds run into her friend. They're just like these two kindly old witches. 
it doesn't give the witches much of a role in the society. And that's kind of where my head went to right away is that, you know, it's just these people living in another dimension the same way that we we live. There's nothing there's nothing special about the town other than that it's decked out Halloween all the time. So in other words, to you, it's just seems like it's an alternate universe, but nothing is that different. Yes. And I, I kind of almost wish that maybe I would feel a little bit better about it that they didn't have to travel so far and maybe it was like kind of a Harry Potter vibe where everything is just hiding in plain sight and we don't know. Right, yeah, and and they have, kind of have like that magic school bus moment where they come flying in on the black and orange school bus. I love that reference. I wasn't even thinking it, but yeah, we're, we're just, you know, now that you say it, Debbie Reynolds does kind of remind me of Miss Frizzle. I, I think that a lot of what happens in this movie takes from other things that were popular when the movie came out. I think you just hit the nail on the head there. Because you pull elements from... You kind of get a little bit of element from the Santa Claus because in the Santa Claus, we actually get to see the North Pole where it is Christmas obsessed. Mm -hmm. So you pull from that just a little bit. It's just a little bit. It pulls more from Nightmare. But they do have jobs in the Santa Claus. Right. So and, and they do have jobs here. You have the barber. You've got the shopkeep. You have the dentist. You have people working in the gym doing, you know, doing fitness lessons. Maybe job is a bad word. Maybe goal is better. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Other than Calabar and Marnie... And to an extent, Aggie, nobody here is goal-oriented. That's it. They're, they're, they're just sort no of living stakes. their life. Yeah. Correct. Other, other than bad guy comes to town, and obviously we don't want him to take over. But there's no right. there there's no uh, consequence for any of it. Yeah. But I do get a little bit of a hocus-pocus feel here. No. Nope. I do. I think that it is whimsical the way that hocus-pocus is whimsical. I think, as I pointed out to you, there are elements of this that really make the film... This movie feels like something that came out in the 90s. Absolutely. To touch on the Hocus Pocus thing, that was another thing that really bothered me. And again, bias, I love Hocus Pocus too. Um, When they first descend on the... And I'm not talking about Halloween Town. I'm talking about we're establishing the setting. It's the street where this family lives it is halloween and the kids are obviously trick-or-treating but like and all right i'll give it that it's a decom there probably wasn't a huge budget there probably weren't a lot of background extras but like it just doesn't look like it's that much fun like it's halloween these kids should be going nuts they're all hopped up on sugar and nothing right the movie definitely relies on dialogue as well to get a lot of story in, which is not uncommon for a made-for-TV film where it is under 90 minutes long, you're dealing with commercial breaks, so you tend to move a lot quick, a lot quicker in one of these films than you would in something that was released in the theaters. We discussed High School Musical last month, and that's like the biggest offender when it comes to bad dialogue for the sake of exposition that movie in particular because mm. i actually think this movie did it better than high school musical 
A little bit, but I think because this is a fantastical thing, that played to their favor. Agreed. Um, the relationship between Marnie and her mother, Marnie rips her mother apart time after time after time in this so movie. So rude. It's unrealistic. It's rude, but it's sort of funny. Her, but you know why? Because Gwen takes it with a grain of salt. That's the thing. I, Gwen knows that she's holding her kids back. She knows she's holding her kids down. Dylan is the only one, the brother, Dylan is the only one that is happy just living life as a bookworm. Right. Marnie gets deja vu. She wants more. Sophie uses her imagination. She's probably the most whimsical other than Debbie Reynolds in this movie. And... I think a lot of what she does, you chalk up to a young child having an imagination, but she's got much more going on. The f- and, and I will say this. I do think that these characters, by and large, are fleshed out very well. I would agree with that. For what this movie is. I would definitely agree with that. So I think Gwen sort of taking it, she grounds her daughter once while they're in Halloween Town, but... Marnie is very sarcastic, and Gwen sort of just takes it. And I think that that's done for a reason. I don't think that this is a character that just lets her kids run wild, because we know that she's got them, you know, she's got them basically spot-welded to the floor. Right, which is, you know, that's something, it doesn't necessarily bother me with the setup of the story, but, like, it just, it just bothers me because I feel bad for these characters because they're kids and okay granted the bookwormy brother doesn't care but for the two girls they want to participate and like it's so hard when Halloween is happening all around you to have to shield them from that I mean it's very different now and it's so unfortunate because trick-or-treating is not what it used to be when we were kids I feel like Everybody, you know, and rightfully so, participates in more of a safe Halloween atmosphere where you go to the main street of a town and trick or treat as opposed to going door to door. Um, you know, and I, I understand it's for safety reasons, but it's a shame. You know, it. I feel bad that kids don't get that same experience. So to see that here where, you know, the kids know what Halloween is and they don't even get like a the B-side Halloween, they don't get any participation whatsoever. That really bums me out. Yeah. It it makes me feel bad for the kids. And especially when it tom- when it comes time for Aggie to leave, these children are in so much pain when they say goodbye to her. So much pain. You could tell that Aggie, as their grandmother, and they say that she doesn't come around very often, as it turns out, she really can't leave Halloween Town that often. So the kids don't know that, of course. They just wonder why Grandma's not really around. And Marnie has a throwaway line. And that's where this movie succeeds well, too. They have, I think, strategically put in proper throwaway lines. Where a movie like High School Musical, for example, really lacked that. Because she has the throwaway line of, hey, Grandma doesn't come around that often. Could you try not to fight with her this time? So they yeah. they have laid the groundwork that 
perhaps part of the reason why they don't see Aggie as often as they'd like to is because she has a strained relationship with Gwen. Exactly. That's, you know, this isn't like your grandma who lives in Florida who you don't get to see very often. You can tell that there's a reason. You know, we know what it is, but you can tell on the kid's level that they understand there's a problem between their mother and grandmother, and that's why she doesn't come around that often. I'm also wondering, to touch on what you said before, if that's why Gwen just kind of takes it from Marnie, because one of the things that I noticed was that when Aggie invites them to move back to Halloween Town, well, she doesn't invite all of them. She just kind of sidebars Gwen and has the conversation, come back, you can live with me. You know, I have to get Marnie's training started before her powers disappear. Um, you know, you can tell that Gwen has removed herself from the lifestyle and she wants nothing to do with it but she's so rude to her mother the way she just ices her out and she's like we're not going to talk about this and she she almost you almost get the impression the impression that she looks down upon her mother for still participating and we don't really know or ever find out and this kind of bothers me too why she left i think you can assume it was for the father to join the mortal world but we never get the explanation as to why she's so adverse to the lifestyle and we never find out why she was in the mortal world to begin with because if the implication is that you cannot just come and go from halloween town into the mortal realm as you like how did she end up there why was she there to begin with right we like I said, we can assume that she stayed because she fell and in love with did. her husband. But yeah, you're right. That would have been a little bit of a good backstory to flesh out. And that's sort of where these made-for-TV films... It, it's That's a crucial element that I think ends up on the cutting room floor to, for the sake of saving time. Yeah, and that is something... I mean, I'm I not using it as an excuse, of course. Right. Because I would have liked to seen it in, but I also understand, like, of all the things that didn't make it in, I guess you can kind of live without it, if we're talking about a time constraint for television. Right. We know, or at least are under the impression, that the father has since passed away, because... No backstory on that either. No backstory on that, but we know where he is, High School Musical. We still don't know where Gabby's father is. <laughs> Years later and weeks removed from those reviews, we don't we don't know where he is. We don't know. I'm surprised we still haven't gotten an answer for that because recently I've been posting a lot on our social media. BuzzFeed is just brutal when it comes to plot holes in high school musical. And they're they're very entertaining, but that's that was something I didn't say during our reviews. I think they should have done, you know, for all these re reboots 10 year 10 year reunion for high school musical kind of passed already but like we could have addressed a lot of these issues we could if have. you brought it back to theaters but a anyway quick, quick throw away a throwaway line from dylan why do you bring up dad you know what upsets mom and i think even aggie at some point is you know the children have not been the same since their father and gwen just kind of looks at her and that's where the conversation ends i think that was it was something to that effect some scene or some line to that effect. Yeah, even, you know, it could have been a throwaway line, like, if he passed on Halloween, and that's why Gwen doesn't want to celebrate, and she could have wrote it off the whole time, and the kids would have been none the wiser. Yeah. 
fast forwarding to when the kids actually get on the bus, um, they sneak on through the back of the bus. The depressed monsters commenting on how jaded this world has become is hysterical to me. I thought it was so funny. And I actually think that it holds up because that scene, at least. How often, I mean, we've talked on this show before about how modern audiences now, kids, they might not watch, a lot of them don't watch the original Disney animated classics Mm. because they think it looks too old because they've been raised on Pixar. Right. And CGI and computer animation. We can go back and watch a movie with crummy special effects But we overlook it because we say, well, that movie came out 25 years ago. That at the time, what we had at the time, yeah. So the fact that they have these monsters, Frankenstein, for example, goes into a convenience store to scare somebody, and a little kid in a Frankenstein mask walks up and goes, Daddy. And you have um, a demon saying, um, what was it that he said? Uh, ra- raising something from the dead or unleashing something and people don't even bat an eye anymore because they say, oh, it's, I've seen that on Jerry Springer. Yeah, the the jaded monsters are pretty funny, especially because, like you said, when they start out as something with something as iconic as Frankenstein's monster, I mean, th- that is pretty funny that even he's over it. Yeah. Um, I noticed um, Benny the Cab so good. So good. I had I, I laugh at the Roger Rabbit tribute. Right. But the animatronic is incredible. Because it's not a puppet. He's got a skinny, you know, he's got the skeletal neck, so there's nowhere to hide a hand up there. Um, but the way that it's it's rolling, I, I think they probably employed some of you know, like the Lincoln animatronics in there. Yeah, because the eyebrows move, the face moves. It is incredibly impressive. Which is what kills me, because for as good as that is, the rest of the masks look awful. And I get it. These are supposed to be cartoony. And that's fine. But when you compare it to something like Spy Kids came to mind, when they go into, you know, Floop's world... Those are supposed to look silly and cartoony. These are supposed to, but for the most part, they look like paper bags over people's heads. And I kind of wish that they would have used paper bags on some of them. So some of the makeup is very good. Enlighten me. But the stuff that is bad is terrible. What's good? Please. I don't hate the Wolfman's makeup. Uh, the barber. No, I, no, you're talking about. I, it looks cat more cat though than wolf. Well, speaking of cat, you have the aerobics instructor at the gym. And she's got a cat face, and that looks good. It looks better than that ridiculous cat's trailer that they just put out with the most ridiculous cast I've ever seen. Don't even get me started on that CGI fur. Right. Destroying um, my play. I think Luke's. Face piece at the end isn't bad. Um, 
I think it moves fairly well. I mean, the the nose you could tell is a rubber nose because he's meant to look, you know, kind of like an ogre. I think they did the whole head though see that's what bothers me i wish that they used pieces and just accentuated the nose or the eyebrows or the ears or whatever it is almost like well no cats the play is a bad example because that's straight makeup but if they had just done certain features it would have been a lot more effective whereas this looks like you'd go into party city and get a halloween mask and throw it on and that's what you do like it looks like you know the cheap mike myers mask from party city yeah some of them that's what these look like some of them yeah when calabar is that dark creature i think that piece is fairly good too because that moves very well. I'll give you that one. That's that's probably where they spent most of their time. Because that it's not like a whole rubber mask. That's where it's like fitted to the face. Right. The broom dealer slash Elvis impersonator. His, ma- his face piece isn't bad. The issue is that they didn't blend it from the jaw to the neck. Yeah, the, and that looks and that's that's where it looks like they're wearing a costume mask. Right. But that might have been what they were going for. It could have been. That could have been a stylistic thing because they wanted it to look like something that you would just see on Halloween. The only but, but thing... But uh, the thing is, though, you, you some of it is really good. Some of it is borderline like him. And then you have some that are literally just wearing a mask over their head, like the pumpkins. Exactly, exactly. That go into the dentist office. And and that's where, and again, I'm trying not to compare because there's a bias, but like if you think about the hocus pocus scene where the parents are dancing at the town hall party, the makeup in that scene alone is a thousand times better than what are supposed to be. And that's the thing. These are supposed to be people. They're supposed to be the population of Halloween town. So it's like, why do you look like you're wearing a cheesy costume? Right. Yeah, there's there's good and there's bad there. Like you said, you have something like a Benny, you have something like the Pumpkins, you have something like Calabar, and then you have the dog people in the aerobics room. So there's there's just, there's an inconsistency there, and it does get frustrating. Because you figure, well, you, you had the means to do this here, why didn't you follow through? With the, with the guy who's dealing the brooms... Just a little bit of makeup, a little bit of airbrush, just to blend from the jaw down the neck, and he would have had, and his makeup would have been fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I mean, unfinished is being kind. I think. Yeah, I like the line that Aggie's friend says about going down to the headless shelter, as opposed to the homeless shelter. Yeah, she baked the muffins for them or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so, uh, things like that stuck out to me as being very clever because whereas it fell a little flat for you, that's the appeal of it to me. This is their life. This is their town. So, whereas people here volunteer at the homeless shelter, people there volunteer at the headless shelter. I think that juxtaposed to the human world it does make a lot of sense as an alternate universe, as an alternate reality. No, and I guess that's why it bothers me so much about the makeup because that looks sloppy and cheesy 
and and sometimes just out and out dumb, but they did pay attention to detail really well in some other areas. Like probably one of my favorite things about this movie is uh, Aggie's microwave. And there's yes. the settings where you can set it to boil, toil and trouble. Yeah. Aggie is so endearing. I she think, is. And, and I like Marnie too, but it's, I think it's hard, it's hard for anybody to be your favorite character other than Aggie. No, and I, I love her wardrobe too. Yeah. Because it's, and I think that's what makes her so endearing is because, especially because, you know, it's in, she's a grandma. It's not only an older actress, but they're portraying an older witch. And when you think older witch, you think like this haggard, mm -hmm. gnarled, like you're thinking the Snow White witch. You're thinking like Hansel and Gretel. You're thinking of like a creepy old woman with like a big nose and big ears and warts. And, you know, it goes back to what I said before, where this just plays up the idea of like, this is your grandma, you can see your own grandmother in her. You know, she's not just going to give you a cookie before dinner and say, don't tell mom. She's going to give you a spell book and teach you how to, you know, summon demons or whatever. What I love about her in the very beginning of the movie is that she plays the quote unquote storyteller very well, where she's telling them the story of Halloween Town and she's playing it off as if she's telling a story. But after you've seen the movie a couple of times and you know exactly what it is that she's doing and that she is describing a real place, she has this smirk. Like she knows exactly what she's doing. She's completely calculated in her decision there. Oh, for sure. You know, she's definitely planting a seed with them. And it is so appealing to the kids, not just because it's a fun book. First of all, the book is gorgeous. Whoever, whatever mm. they did with the prop, I mean, they got a professional children's illustrator and it, it looks phenomenal. Um, but, you know, she definitely paints the picture that, oh, not this is not just a fun story, but don't you wish this was actually real? Yep. She's definitely dropping a whole bunch of breadcrumbs. Without a doubt. The only thing that I don't like upon her arrival is the direct ripoff of Mary Poppins and how things just keep coming out of her bag. Yeah, to me that stood out as something that I think sort of fell flat. I, I understand they're trying to prove that she's a witch, that she can perform magic, but I felt that that was... I'm not even... There's no way of sugarcoating it. I, I felt it was a ripoff. It's... It's too iconic. There are certain things that you can take influence from, but this was not like inspired by the Mary Poppins bag. It was a ripoff. And I almost wish and they look similar too, yeah. They totally look similar. I mean, the difference here was that it like responded to her command almost like it was a dog following her. Right. But I kind of wish if they were going to be if they weren't going to show all of these accessories that she was bringing with her. I almost wish she had to conjure them without the kids seeing. And that also would have lent itself better to the story too, because then I almost called her April. Uh, Gwen <laughs> would have, you know, she'd have more of a reason to get mad. Whereas here it's like, as soon as she enters the house, she's like, don't tell them anything. Don't do magic. So if she started kind of doing these things behind their back, like, you know, conjuring these pres the presents that she brings them out of nowhere, Gwen would have more of a reason to be so mad and so uh, aggressive towards her. Yeah, the whole bag, it's sort of 
the bag is sort of like a combination of the Mary Poppins bag and like the footstool from Beauty and the Beast. And like your grandma's candy dish, because that's all. It's full of those hard candies. Yeah, that was, I, I got a good chuckle out of that one, too. Totally. Gwen, I like Gwen. And I understand, and as the movie gets fleshed out more and more and more, you understand that the reason why she wants her kids to grow up normal is that clearly something has happened to her other than losing her husband. Something happened in Halloween Town. We never really find out what it was, but... It's probably because she was dating that schmuck. Well, we see, though, as, as she gets back into Halloween Town, that... She does get hit with Calabar's spell. She is frozen. So she's so not bad. This is not uncommon behavior for them. That they're putting themselves be, due due to the fact that they're witches, they find themselves in sort of precarious situation time and time again. She wants to protect her children. That's fine. My issue with Gwen is that she continues to fall back on basically the same line. Right. There's so much you don't know. There's so much you don't understand. And it gets old very, very fast. Yeah. I mean, I obviously don't do this. Like, I can separate actors from their roles in my head. But with her, because it was pretty much the only other thing she's ever done, I'm like, you are so much less cool than April. She's yeah. just a giant stick in the mud. And I think that what they needed here, they needed Gwen to have a breakdown. She needed to break down. And she needed to explain to the kids exactly what it is that they don't understand. Maybe not Sophie. And maybe not even Dylan. She had to have that moment with Marnie and it never came. Yeah, I almost wish that she didn't get frozen, number one, because the CGI in that scene is absolutely terrible but i kind of wish that it was just aggie who had gotten frozen and then gwen realized okay i'm gonna need the kids help and i'm gonna have to teach them everything i know in order to save my mother and especially i think that would have been more of a payoff on their estranged relationship as well whereas here it was just up to the kids to go and find everything and that was the other thing. Like, they didn't really struggle with it. Like, obviously, they had to create a bunch of diversions in order to get what they needed. But, like, they didn't seem lost and clueless as to how to go about it. They knew exactly what to do. And the diversions were terrible. The way that they went and acquired the stuff for the witch's brew. This this is where the movie falls apart on me. You know, they're, Marnie's trying to distract whoever it is she's stealing from but then like she's so obviously pointing at to her brother and sister where to get it it's like you may as well have just walked in and snatched it yourself those scenes are the only scenes where i watch it and i think that i'm watching a children's movie because it is very childish i agree with you there you know what it it feels like to me honestly is that like there's three days left of shooting and they're running out of budget and we had to get these scenes in for all you know, that that could have been what it was. Um, but it shows. If if that's the case, like that's that's what it feels like. It was like one take wonders. Let's move on and get this movie done. Yeah. Um. Specifically, the scene where they're getting the ghosts. Oh. They're not behind him. 
they walk right into the room. He sees them there. Like, why not just ask for it at that point? Yeah. That scene in particular of the three where they are acquiring an item, that's the worst one. And considering the fact that when they get the vampire's fang and after the vampire is at the dentist and has the fang pulled out, you can clearly see that they you know, just... a little raisin stuck there? Yeah, it, it basically. They, they clearly just Awful. painted the actress's tooth black and poorly, mind you, to try and, and hide it and make it look like there's a gap there. When that scene with the ghost is worse than the scene with the dentist, you have a problem. Exactly. Like, I, I, it would have been less awkward for me if they had just walked in and been like, hey, can I get a drop of your sweat and then moved on? Right. I would have been fine with that. And for a movie that does a lot of things well, as I mentioned before, the characters are fleshed out well. They have good throwaway lines. They do a, a better job than most other movies made for television of fleshing out plot in dialogue without it becoming too much, without it moving too quick. And some of the lines, like, uh, witches don't drive minivans. It's such a good dig at Gwen that Aggie takes. For so much that they accomplished, for for these scenes in particular to fall flat, and, and really, these scenes need to carry to the finale of the film, it is a bit of a letdown. Another thing that I wish that they had delivered on was they keep saying, we're Cromwell's. Yeah. Like it's supposed to mean something. Like, I get it. You're trying to rally your family together and that's all well and good. And you're trying to inspire the kids. Okay, fine. But the way that they keep referencing it, you know, it it almost feels like you're you're talking about like you're you're in Boston Revolution era descendants, you know, and and they just never pay. And the, the other thing that's weird is like, well, if the kids are Cromwells, do we assume that that's the father's last name? You know, who who are we going with here? Well, Aggie is a Cromwell. Gwen's maiden name is Cromwell. I think the kids just have Cromwell blood. Because when they go to Aggie's house on the gate, it does say Cromwell. Well, no, I mean, I, I know that that's the maiden name, but the way that she's saying it to the kids, it's like, well, that's not their last name. Like, yes, your descendants. But that's where a little bit of backstory would have gone a long way as to why you are so, well, not even prominent in, this, in the town because they never really established that. It's just like, right. yeah, we can do it. Yeah, well, it's like, what what is your family history here that you feel you are so revered? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'll give you that. Um, when Calabar sees Gwen... I love the jabs that the kids make. We're not calling him dad <laughs> if you marry him. It, it was really, really funny. Yeah, that that is pretty funny. And I forget what it was that they said exactly, but uh, Marnie took another classic dib at Gwen that in any other circumstance would have been completely inappropriate, but it just works for the scene. It's funny that those digs between mother and daughter, and I don't just mean between Marnie and her mom, I mean Gwen and Aggie as well. They're so good. But then with the sibling arguments, there's so much did not, did too. Well, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. Like there's so much back and forth with that. 
they needed to cut out of those lines faster. I agree. I mean, I understand their siblings. They bicker their children. It, it's not we've that established it's, that it, exactly. It's not that it's not believable or that it's unrelatable, but they do fall back on it quite a bit. I will say that from the moment Calabar came on the screen, I never trusted him. Oh, totally. I never trusted Calabar. Yeah, no, and it's not just because he pulls a lollipop out of his ear. But I like him. I like him as a character, and I like him as a villain. I love his motivation here. That he is the mayor, he basically runs this town, and he wants it to go back to the way that it was. Because he's got his, he's got his eyes set on something bigger. He doesn't just want Halloween Town, he wants the world. And he's powerful enough where he can accomplish it. I mean, that is a little bit Nightmare Before Christmas ripoffy with the mayor. But, but I mean, any villain, you know, I mean, Bane takes over Gotham in The Dark Knight Rises. And, you know, th- this is nothing that is new. No, but I'm talking about mayors specifically. The difference is True. with Nightmare Before Christmas, the play on it is that he's two-faced, literally two-faced. He's a two-faced politician. Yeah. Um. So th- this definitely deviates it's it's different in that regard but as far as having a mayor you know who's pretending that you can be some you know especially when kids come into play he's pretending that he's somebody that's trustworthy um but it's still a little bit predictable like there's just there's something that's just off enough where you know that you can't trust him completely but i wasn't i honestly wasn't expecting him to like shape shift and take a different form yeah Towards the end of the movie, I do like that Dylan, he still has his powers and they do come to light in the stress of the moment, but he's such a jerk for nearly getting his family killed before using them. (laughs) Yeah, he's just kind of standing there like, I have powers, do something. So up until that point in time, I didn't dislike that character, and that's not to say that I dislike him at the end of the movie, but... He went from being over it to being a jerk very quickly. Yeah, and that's this is another area where I think the where Cromwell's thing you could have had a payoff because it's like, oh well, he's a Cromwell too, and now he has powers. Right. There was no rhyme or reason for it. He never had the same kind of inklings as Marnie and Sophie did. So for them to come out of nowhere, it's not disjointed because Obviously, his siblings have power, but like it just would have been more of a payoff in that moment. Well, he did have those inklings when he was younger, but Gwen did a good job of brushing it all under the carpet. And I guess because he is so scientific about things, he would never really read into any of it. Yeah, you might as well have just called him Nick Zielinski at that point because he <laughs> sort of looks like him, totally. he acts like him. He's got those big rim glasses just like Nick Zielinski. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're talking about, you know, all these 90s things packaged into one movie, that's definitely another one. I, I did think of that when Nick I was watching Nick in the first it. one, not in the second one when he started playing his guitar. Right, not jerk Nick. Exactly. But... I didn't mind that. I like the fact that he came back around in the stress of the moment. What I don't like about it is, remember, the reason why, and he has the line in the film, the reason why he goes with Marnie, as he said, I'm the man of the house. So if you're taking responsibility as man of the house and you feel it appropriate to escort your sister to Halloween Town... On a flying bus, which you don't believe in. 
why not take responsibility and be the man of the house here and be the final piece of the puzzle to take down Calabar? He does do it eventually, but I guess you get so used to these reluctant heroes in mm. like a Marvel film. Right. And he is a reluctant hero and he does get there, but the payoff isn't as good as I, as it could have been and as it should have been. Well, usually with like a Marvel movie or even like, you know, thinking more one of the, our more recent reviews, Hercules, there's that hero montage of how they learn to hone their craft. And this is where I think it would have served better, better to just have Aggie as the one that was frozen. And then Gwen has to give them a crash course in everything that she knows. Yeah. And they're still kind of trying to figure it out. Maybe him being the reluctant hero would have been like figuring out he has powers and then trying to do one thing, but he does another and actually brings Calabar down or something. Right. Um, I never really noticed that so much because the, the final scene before they leave Halloween town probably bothers me more than anything else. I just feel like that end between Luke and Marnie, it's so much more adult than 13 years old. Yeah, but I've also gotten the feeling over the course of this film that Marnie is 13 going on 30. Oh, totally. But as far as Luke goes, it was like I was afraid to ask you on a date. Like at 13, like what what are you going to take her to fine dining? Well, he invited her to an ice cream parlor that the abominable snowman owns down the block. I guess that's it. You know, for 13 years old, it's, you know, I, I guess I was expecting like a more of an, aw, shucks, I just wanted you to like me, but I was afraid. Well, I think that's what they Got were going for. Way too specific. Uh, yeah. I think that's that was their plan the whole time, but b- between it being very specific and because he just looks so damn goofy, you really don't take that sentiment seriously. That's that's exactly it. I can't take any of it seriously. Um, I do like all of the kids in this movie, though. The the three child actors or actresses, respectively, um, that play Marnie, Dylan, and Sophie, they're all very good. Especially Sophie, we haven't uh, yeah, really talked about her a lot because she doesn't have a lot of lines, but. The the actress that plays her like carries the film. She she is the epitome of still waters run deep. And you know what the amazing thing is? I think other than the Halloween Town films, she she I don't nev- think, she didn't yeah. do anything else. And likewise with Marnie. Marnie did a few things, not a ton. I mean, this it like other- bit parts on on big things. Yeah. I don't know that she's ever been like a leading lady the same way that right. she was here. But this this little girl basically did nothing after and. When when scenes relied upon her, she carried them. She carried right. them very well. And she's expressive without being, as we have mentioned before, the 90s all-knowing quip machine kid. Yes. One of the things I noticed, too, because this is something that just drives me crazy in movies in general, the sight lines were really good, too, which is something I think is very hard for child actors to understand. Like, when they're looking off screen and somebody is supposed to be standing there... I've never seen a kid do it quite as well as they did in this film. Yeah. Um, final synopsis. You want to go first? Uh, yeah. I, I don't hate the movie. Um, do I think it, do I think it's great? 
No, not at all. I kind of wish that I had seen it when I was younger because I think the nostalgia factor would have allowed me to overlook a lot of the flaws that I have with this movie. I don't want to sit here and pan it because it is a decom. Um, but I guess what I was thinking in my head as I was watching it and what I have said now that I've had some time to digest it were two totally different things. And I was a lot harsher in my head. Unpopular opinion. I know. I know. No, no, no. My, well, yours. Now here's, here's my turn for an unpopular opinion. It's better than Hocus Pocus. <gasps> Let me explain why. No, you bite your tongue. I will not. Let me explain why. My big problem with Hocus Pocus, well, I had a number of problems with yeah, Hocus Pocus. Yeah, you really did. I really, I, I like the movie for nostalgia's sake. And when I can say I like a movie for nostalgia's sake, and there's not much more to it, that's a problem. The only two characters in that movie that I like are um, Bette Midler's character, um, and Winifred, Winifred, Winnie, and Billy. Right. Other than that, I can't stand the other two Sanderson sisters. Like you, you really had some strong feelings on. I them. find them to be insufferable. I think the rest of the cast stunk. I hated all of the actors in the movie. I hated. I hated the two bozo bullies. I think that they're the two worst actors in Hollywood. And, I'll give you and that And we one. live in a world where Tommy Wiseau has made two films. <laughs> I, I didn't like California. I didn't like his little sister. I didn't like his dream girl. Because I found them all to be annoying characters that made awkward situations more awkward than they needed to be because I don't think that they pulled it off very well at all. And the characters are not fleshed out at all. And as you pointed out in our review of that movie, they're all archetypes of the 90s. And because they say the year 1993 in that movie, the film is dated out of the gate. But the movie also feels like a product of its time. This movie, by and large, to me, other than some of the cheesy makeup and the low-budget special effects, I don't think that this movie is all that dated other than it being shot in standard definition and the other things I just mentioned. I think the story is good. That's not to say the story in Hocus Pocus is bad. I like the story of Hocus Pocus. Right. But I like the story here. I like basically all of the characters. Yes, some of the makeup is bad. Yes, some of the scenes are lousy. But I find this to be a more enjoyable film. I love the music. I think it's whimsical. I love the set. I love Debbie Reynolds. I think that she was a home run in this movie. And I think that these characters see far more development and are far more endearing than any of the characters in Hocus Pocus. You could almost make the argument, and when I say you, I don't mean you as a general statement. I mean you personally, Sean. Yes. That Hocus Pocus is more egregious because that was a film made for the big screen. 
and the things that I find flaw with here, it's a decom. You know, they're a little bit more passable. So you could say in that regard that Hocus Pocus is the worst film. Between the two. Yeah. And again, you personally. I, this is not a blanket statement for our listeners because I could not disagree more. But again, you know, that's also kind of an interesting take on this too is that I grew up on Hocus Pocus and you did not. You'd seen it, but it wasn't a part of your Halloween repertoire the way that it was mine. Right. This one you had seen and I'm looking at it for the first time as a 33-year-old with a film degree. Correct. So, of course, I'm going to knock it down. Sure. But we're interested in knowing what you guys have to say about this. Have you seen Halloween Town? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Do you watch it every year? Is it better than Hocus Pocus? Is it worse than Hocus Pocus? Did I just cost us every listener that we had and we've been working for over a year to build? Yeah, seriously, Hocus Pocus fans, I want to hear you. Please feel free to attack Sean on social media. On Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Monoreal Radio. News this week is not anything that really should surprise anybody, but it it's is exciting a, nonetheless. It's exciting and it's a bombshell nonetheless. And that is the return of Spider-Man to the MCU. Oh boy, we really sweat for that whole three weeks. <laughs> I said weeks ago that I didn't think that was going to stick. No, we did. I My stance on it was I hope everybody does the right thing for the fan base. And they did because we get to keep Tom Holland as Spidey. Yep. So the next Spider-Man movie is set to hit theaters on July 16th, 2021. And it seems as if he's going to also appear in some other MCU films. But the terms of the contract and the agreement that they have... Uh, discussed have not been released not yet at least yeah i don't think tom holland gave an official statement but he did on twitter post the delightful profanity lace clip from wolf of wall street where leonardo dicaprio states that he is not leaving it's the same video that anders lee posted to let the world know he was re-signing with the islanders and that's so that's a good clip for me yeah, it's more than we can say about Captain Pajamas. Mm-hmm. But we're interested to know how you guys feel about the return of Spider-Man to the MCU. Are you surprised? Are you not surprised at all? Are you happy to hear that Tom Holland is coming back? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Thank you so much for joining us this week. You know, it's not too late to get down to the parks to experience Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party. In fact, we're, we're kind of trying to figure out a way to do it ourselves. It's not going to cost you monorail with monorail. Don't worry. We're thinking about adding time to our trip. Thankfully, we have our in-house travel concierge right here. And if you can't pull it off for us, I know you can pull it off for the listeners. Yes, if you are thinking about going to the parks, whether it is for the monorail with monorail bar crawl or if you just want to experience the holidays or maybe, I hate to say it, Northeasters, if you want to escape the winter cold because we are approaching that time of year, uh, get in touch with me at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at MagicalVacationPlanner.com or you can shoot us a DM on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Monoreal Radio. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. 
On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.